This is Husker Sports with Sports Nightly. First, tonight's sports headlines. Good evening, I'm Tim Curran. Three former Huskers were named at ESPN's all-time All-American football team, which was announced earlier today. 1972 Heisman Trophy winner Johnny Rogers made the list, as well as Outland and Lombardi Trophy winning offensive lineman Dave Remington and Dean Steinkuhler. ESPN's list is in honor of the 150th anniversary of college football. Another college football news, Washington's Jacob Eason announced that he'll be foregoing his senior season to enter the NFL draft. The six foot six signal caller threw for over 3,100 yards and had 23 touchdowns this season. Also, bowl games continuing today in the walk-ons Independence Bowl. It's Louisiana Tech who leads Miami 7-0 with five and a half minutes remaining in the fourth quarter. Also coming up here at 7 o'clock, the quick lane bowl between Pitt and and Miami. And in the NBA, there's one game that's just about to get underway between the Wizards and the Pistons. Also coming up at 6.30, you got the Knicks and the Nets at 7. The Spurs will score off with the Mavericks. Also at 7, the Grizzlies will take on the Thunder. Then at 9 o'clock, you got the Timberwolves and the Kings. And then at 9.30, it'll be the Trailblazers and the Jazz. Live inside the Husker Sports Network Studios, I'm Curran. Your state, your team, your show. This is Sports Nightly. Nebraska leads it by 9, 63, 54, long three by Wheeler, missed it. Rebound by Cam Mack, he got hit in the draw. He comes down with a loose ball somehow. Here comes Cam Mack. He wisely leaves it off. Highlight field, top 10, here it comes. Unbelievable. Sports Nightly during the holidays is presented by the Woodhouse Auto Family. With over 6,000 new and pre-owned vehicles in stock, visit woodhouse.com to browse the entire inventory. Now, let's check the pulse of Husker Nation with your hosts, Greg Sharp and Nate Rohr. Ho, ho, ho! We're here! Merry Christmas. We survived. We did, We survived Christmas. (laughs) It's an upset. No doubt. Yes. How'd it go for Bobby's first Christmas? He was okay with it. Um, he wasn't feeling the best, so it wasn't as if... He, and, you know, let's be honest, he's still 10 months old. And it's not... This isn't all quite registering to him. He yeah. liked all the people. He handles people better than his dad does. <laughs> um, so so that's a good thing. Uh, but anyhow, he, 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 he was okay with it. But next year, the following year, that's when the fun stuff really happens. Yeah, absolutely. Your your better days are coming, and your really fun days are coming. I'm I'm jealous because you'll enjoy the heck out of that. We hope everybody had a wonderful Christmas safe. I hope you traveled. If you were out and about moving around, hope you traveled safely, uh, got some good food, and got a chance to spend some time with your families. It's uh, kind of a weird time to have Christmas in the middle of the week Mm -hmm. because it's fine. You, You know, most people took maybe part of Tuesday off or all of Tuesday off, and then you had Wednesday. But then for a lot of people, you had to, you had to go back to work today yeah. and tomorrow, and then you get the next weekend. Yeah, it, this this is probably going to be one of the least productive weeks oh. in American history because nobody, you know, you go in for Monday, assuming you had to go in Monday, you're not going to get anything done, let's be honest. And then today and tomorrow, if you're not, if you didn't take vacation, lots of other people in your office did. Right. So I, I, I would be shocked if anybody's getting anything done this week. If you are, good on you. We have to do three well, hours radio. Well, you could drive a car through our office and not worry about hitting anybody. No, no. That, isn't that the truth? It's, <laughs> it's pretty, We're here, pretty though. Empty. That's right. We're slaving away over My hot gosh. microphones trying to, trying to entertain an entire state. Yeah. 
Fired up and ready to roll. Yeah. All right, here's what we have on the program tonight. We started this on Monday. We get, we, we're going to go through the Husker All-Decade team. The, the decade of 2010 is over officially now for Husker football. It ended with the Iowa game uh, about a month ago. So Monday we went through the All-Decade offense for Husker football. Tonight we're going to do All-Decade defense. And then tomorrow night we'll pick off a couple of special teams players for the all-decade team. We've had some fun putting all this together, so we're going to get into that here a little bit later on in the hour. Hour number two, we started about two weeks ago counting down the top ten games that were broadcast on the Husker Sports Network during 2019. We're up to number four. We'll tell you what that is at the beginning of hour number two. We'll also check in with Dirk Chatlin of the Omaha World Herald. He wrote a really timely and powerful piece over the weekend about Niles Paul. The former Husker football great grew up in Omaha, Omaha North High yes. School. Played, had a nice career in the National Football League. Had to transform his body because wide receiver in, in Nebraska had a good career here. He, he found that his livelihood was going to have to be to survive as a tight end in the National Football League. So he bulked himself up, played tight end. He played a little bit of fullback at the end of the career. Well, his career ended last year. He, uh, the body was starting to give out, just couldn't keep it going anymore, so he decided to retire. He's had a hard time with it. I mean, a lot of, a lot of these pro athletes do, Nate, when, when, the, when they hang the spikes up or put the helmet away or, or uh, stop bouncing the basketball anymore. They have a hard time going What's next? Because what's next for them their whole life was the next practice and trying to make the next team. That's exactly right. So much of what they've done through their lives, and not just what they've done, but what they've gotten their self-image from, their self-esteem, how they were identified, you know, from the time they were a little kid dominating people in in the schoolyard all the way up until what they did professionally is there's Niles Paul, the football player. And, and boy, isn't Niles Paul something on the football field? And, and now that that's gone, it's tough to fill it. It's, in fact, impossible to fill it. We hear so often of athletes having trouble not just mentally and not just, you know, the transition from athlete to civilian or former athlete or whatever, but finding something else to do. And you think of all the dis- – there are tons of advantages to being a great athlete, no, no question. And, and Niles Paul probably made a decent amount of money mm-hmm. in the NFL during his time. So that part of it – is is somewhat taken care of but at the same time one that money doesn't last forever and two the means of getting more money your next job right that's up in the air because you haven't been a junior salesperson you haven't been at the bottom floor of you know a, a factory or an office or whatever so all of a sudden you're starting your life over at 35 and, and that's tough. That, that's asking a lot. And, and Niles is going through that. And, I, you know, when you're an athlete, you'll, especially when you're a football player, you're, you're going through physical injuries, maybe even some head trauma situations. We've seen that really make things difficult for athletes. So it, it's one of those really tough transitions for an athlete. And it sounds as if Niles uh, is still wrestling with a lot. Yeah, it's a powerful story. It's a great read. We'll have Dirk on to talk about how he stumbled upon on this and then what he learned after talking to Niles for over an hour to put this story together it's it is a powerful stuff and and, and depression and those type of things that's a, it's a hard time of year for that for a lot of folks out there mm-hmm. because 
you know, you, you, you and I are both blessed. We had, we had families to hang out with yesterday. Well, a lot of people don't. They don't have anybody to go celebrate the holidays with. So it can be a very uh, depressing time of year. And, I, and hopefully Niles had a decent day yesterday. But we'll dive into that topic here in a little bit. You know, Nate, a lot of these pro leagues do a pretty good job of bringing in speakers to talk. The, the NFL, the Major League Baseball, the NBA, I'm sure the NHL does it too, where they come in and they, these pro franchises try to set up speakers to come talk to these athletes and say, start thinking about your plan for the afterlife of pro sports. And so many guys just blow it off. They don't, yeah. They're like, that eh, isn't going to be uh, I'll worry about that when I get to that day. Some do. There are some guys, Dominican Sue, I think, is the other side of that. He's been working on putting together a business empire, and he's thinking about what he wants to do future life but he's more the exception than the rule to what these guys do right it's it's how do those guys take to heart what they're hearing and you talked about it where for these guys so much has been the next practice the next game or even you know the farthest they have to zoom out is you know lifting weights in february for the football season so six months and and not having any certainty and not really having anything concrete behind or past that so now you got to think 20 years down the road 30 years down the road what am i going to do how am i going to keep the lights on and and these guys you can try as you might to prepare them but it's just not something that they're able to pick up through their life experiences and through what they do and unfortunately the other part of it is these guys are so visible that if they screw up you know an athlete goes through bankruptcy or they're arrested for tax evasion or something like that, that's a very public thing. They can't screw up in private, basically. Yeah. Well, it's a a topic that I'm glad there's been some light shed upon it by Dirk. And again, we'll get into that coming up in hour number two. Thursday night, Teddy Greenside, the Chicago Tribune, always stops in to talk with us. He's actually in Glendale, Arizona. He's down there to cover the Fiesta Bowl on Saturday between Ohio State and Clemson, one of the national semifinal games. The media days for both that and the Peach Bowl were today as players were talking about getting ready for this matchup to uh, get stay in the hunt to win a national championship. So we'll hear from Teddy coming up in hour number three. And as always, phone lines are open for you at 866-HOSKER-1, 866-487-5371. Speaking of the NFL, now it's Paul Story NFL. Um, bowl game today. It's the Independence Bowl. It's been an awful game, <laughs> by the way. Miami's playing Louisiana Tech. There's Five and maybe some change left in the game. It's seven to nothing. Four eleven left. Seven to nothing. Louisiana Tech leads. That's with four eleven to go in the game. Yeah. Uh, Miami had a bunch. Well, one Miami wasn't very good this year. It was a six and six football team. But they had a handful of players who skipped playing in the game because they didn't. They don't feel the need to do it and risk getting hurt for the NFL draft, which is coming up in April. And I don't know how many really draftable guys Miami has. I sure haven't studied them at all this year. Your thoughts about guys skipping bowl games, Nate, uh, to protect themselves from an injury that could affect their draft status in a couple of months. It's not something I like. It's not something that makes me feel good about college football. But, boy, if I were sitting in their shoes with everything we just talked about with Niles Paul and and understanding that being a football player in a lot of cases is the unique gift these guys have. Maybe they have other talents. Maybe they're adept at other things, whatever. The thing they're best at, the thing they can do the best is, is play football, usually. And so the fact that they are in a situation playing in a game that that won't, 
mean much as far as the future of their season, the future of their program, and and they have something so important ahead of them, which is you know, very important in terms of the, their ability to make a living doing the thing that they're best at. I can't fold them. I, I have a tough time ripping a kid who, who examines the situation of playing in a bowl game, understands that the the risks greatly outweigh the rewards, and, and goes, "Yeah, I'm sorry, but I I can't I, I I can't risk that for my family, for myself, and for everything I've got coming down the line." So I don't like it, and and. Hopefully there's a way that college football can think of of addressing it, but I also totally understand where those guys come from. Particularly if your team, your school, is in the walk-ons independence <laughs> pool. Now, if if you were at Ohio State, Clemson, LSU, and who's LSU playing? Uh, LSU's playing Oklahoma. OU. Maybe that's a different deal because Absolutely. there's a national championship on the line, something that could etch you in the history books of that school forever. Right. I think that's a different deal than this, that Absolutely. Miami's in today. No question about it. I, I think that you know, these bowl games, as much as you know, we lament Nebraska not being in a bowl game, as much importance as we sometimes affix to how these games go, everything except the playoff, up to and including the Rose Bowl and the Orange Bowl are consolation games. Right. Are 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 exhibition games to to help boost tourism numbers and to give ESPN something to show in December and January. That's it. And you a know? vacation for fans. Yeah, absolutely. Absolutely. So I I have a tough time if a kid is sitting there going, my ability to make a living will be negatively impacted in a big way if I play in this game and get hurt. I have a tough time ripping a kid for doing that. And you think about it, you know, your draft status also kind of sets up your future. A, a team is more apt to stick with a player who's making mistakes if they're a third-round draft pick, if they're a first-round draft pick, than they would if they're a seventh-round guy or a free agent guy. If you're a free agent guy... You're, you have to show them something during preseason camp or else you're out on the street. Right. And, and we've seen it where guys are just right on that fringe of, of being on a roster, playing, you know, or just being out on the street, bouncing around between practice squads. And, and never mind the personal achievement factor and the personal pride of doing what you want to do. That's that's costly money wise. That that that's your living. That's how you're going to put food on the table. And until college football pays the student athletes beyond their scholarship and beyond the laundry money that that they get on top of that, it, it just isn't worth it. It's, it's become more and more of a. Uh, it's more it's more prevalent now than it was four or five years ago. It just seems like it's become more and more of a trend. And, I, and again, I get it. I really do. Except for those. Players that are on those four schools that are still fighting for a national title. Miami, we talked about how bad this game has been today. 7 nothing. They're now inside of the last four minutes of that game. Tate Martell hmm. is one of the quarterbacks that's been run out there by the Hurricanes. They've played three quarterbacks today. He is one of them. Somebody tweeted out this, Nate, that this is Tate Martell's football career from his junior year of high school to now. Hmm. Committed to Washington. Decommitted from Washington. Mm-hmm. Committed to Texas A&M, decommitted from Texas A&M, committed to Ohio State, signed with Ohio State, 
was a backup quarterback for the Buckeyes, entered the transfer portal, signed with Miami. He's played quarterback and wide receiver for the Hurricanes this year, and now there he is in Shreveport, Louisiana, in a bowl game. What a path. He's got a nice collection of sweats, doesn't he? Wow. From a couple different schools and a couple of places where he committed. But, you know, what a waste because you just bounce around and bounce around. And I know some of that was spurred by moves by coaches. But, you know, say what you will about Tate Martell and where he wasn't willing to compete for the Ohio State starting job or when when he was listed as the backup once they anointed Justin Fields, he said, okay, I'm out. See you later. But at at the same time, he's got talent. He's obviously somewhat good. Look at those schools. Because people, pretty good schools keep taking chances on him. And, and yet he's going to play in a handful of games in his college football right. career. It was a situation where – I think he just kept looking and looking and looking for the perfect situation and thinking, well, I'm talented. I'm, I'm super talented. Why am I not getting the, the, the yellow brick road to the starting job and running a team? And now his, his college career is dying because he's bounced around and, and the clock's running out on him. And it happens more at quarterback than any other position because there's only one quarterback that can play for each team. And you look at, at the at the New York ceremony a few weeks ago for the Heisman Trophy, the three quarterbacks that were there were all transfers. <laughs> Fields, you had Burrow who won it, and you had Jalen Hurts. Yeah. Those are the three quarterbacks sitting on that front row for that Heisman ceremony, and they were all transfers. And that's going to become more common in, in this day and age of college football. It, it It's a deal where guys – will play for a lesser-level school. You know, somebody will play in the MAC for two years yeah. and play well and then go, okay, I'm going to go to the big time. Or even a Joe Burrow situation where he he couldn't get the starting job at Ohio State, so he goes out, finds himself a starting job. I mean, we're, the quarterback position is going to be kind of a carousel. Nebraska's going to be an outlier where they have a guy walk in his freshman year, start at quarterback, and, you know, assuming he stays – which I, no reason to believe he wouldn't, but assuming he stays through four years, you know, Adrian Martinez is going to be something of an outlier of a guy who started in a place, finished in a place, and was a starter. Very good. Those are the topics we're kind of looking at tonight. 866-HOSKER-1, 866-487-5371. Number if you want to dial us up with a comment or question, let's sneak Pete out and Broken Bow in before we head to the break. Pete, good evening. Hey, guys. Um, just to follow up what you said, I, I agree with you, but it all starts with the coaches. Years and years and years ago, the coaches couldn't discipline and police themselves not to, to entice kids to transfer, so to stop the transfers, they made it where the kid had to sit out of here. I mean, I believe that Rich Rodriguez left his West Virginia team to not coach in the Orange Bowl to go get a head start on his Michigan uh, uh, tenure. So that's, you know, the kids see this, and, yeah, if it's not a, a national championship game or like a Rose Bowl or something like this, you can't blame the kids because look what the adults are doing. So no, I, I, I'll just hang up and, and let you comment from there. Yep, no doubt. That's no, a great point. No doubt. I mean, and, and it kind of makes what happens with transfers even more unfair now. Of course, when when you think well, he's not my guy skipping and go to no, the NFL. No, no, that's what I'm saying is yeah. is you know you think of of you know why why can't a kid 
it, it makes sense for a kid to protect his fin- financial future, living mm-hmm. and financial yeah. future by not playing in this game. When they look at coaches, uh, you know, leaving their teams early to to essentially protect their financial future to build their new programs. So yeah, it, it makes all the sense in the world that kids do it when the coaches back on a Thursday who, night sports on the Oscar Sports Network. Greg Sharpney, Wharton Curran is going to join us in the segment. We began on Monday, still leave for naming their next our Husker All Decade yep. team. We started with the offense tonight. We go defense, and you and I were talking earlier. For seven of the ten years, Nebraska played a 4-3, so at least for me, I set it up as a 4-3 defense. What would you do? Uh, I started in a 4 I, – I, I cheated, and I went four D linemen, four linebackers. But Ooh. I was able to adapt you to could a 4-3. Yep. All right. And, Tim, you, yep. if you went 3-4, that's fine. No, I did two five. No, I, I kept it pretty traditional. Four, th- four down linemen, three linebackers, four DBs, two, corner, two corners, two safeties. Very, very standard vanilla defense. All right. Very good. Nate, start us off. Your defensive line. Okay, so up front, I've got Eric Martin at one of the ends. He was first team all Big Ten his senior year, had eight and a half sacks. And then at the other end, I've got Randy Gregory, two-time all-conference, uh, ten and a half sacks his junior year when he really exploded onto the scene. And then in the middle, I've got Jared Crick, uh, first team all Big 12, had 17 tackles for loss, nine and a half sacks in his great junior year, really battled injuries. His senior. Blake Collins is at my other tackle spot. The numbers aren't quite that impressive, but he was a dominating force out there for some pretty lackluster Husker defenses, especially his last year. So Malik Collins is my other defensive tackle. Okay, Tim? Yeah, on the defensive line, uh, I had to go with uh, Malik Collins as well. I, I was very, very close to picking Vincent Valentine, but I just just barely edged him out from Malik Collins. Uh, I think partly because Malik actually had a pretty uh, slightly more successful collegiate career, two-time second-team All-Big Ten pick. Uh, didn't play his senior season, I don't believe, but he's pretty fantastic the couple years before that. He had like eight sacks and 23 TFLs, so uh, he could kind of stop the run and the pass. Um, I also have uh, uh, Randy Gregor in the line. Um, well, the kind of the interesting thing note about him is that he had the most career sacks out of like anyone who played less than four years. He had, I think he had 17 and a half career sacks, and that's quite an impressive number uh, to get as well. On the other side, uh, the other defensive end, I had Jason Ankro, who actually right now I believe is coaching high school football in yep. Nebraska, so he's still around. He had a really, really strong senior season, 36 tackles, nine for loss, four sacks, and the one INT got an honorable mention, all big 10 nod, and that one, the last defensive tackle uh, on here had to pick Jared Crick, kind of couldn't leave him out there. So your four again were Crick? Yep. Malik Collins, Jason Anchor, and Randy Gregory. Okay. Um, we're, we're lined up pretty much the same. I've got Gregory, Crick, and Collins. My other defensive end, and, and maybe it's just because it's the most recent, but I put Khalil Davis hmm. on here, who had a terrific and was, what, second team all-conference by the coaches this past year, ended up with a really good career at Nebraska and played all four years during the year. To me, that was the hardest spot. Eric Martin's a really good one. I think we also ought to throw the name Baker Steincooler in there as a possible defensive tackle. He had a really nice career at Nebraska during this decade and probably didn't put up as many big numbers, but so many times your defensive tackles don't yeah. unless they're Indomitian Sioux. Exactly. Right? Hey, you know, Indomitian Sioux is just transcendent, and maybe that's part of the problem with especially Baker Steincooler is the numbers really weren't there. They but weren't. He, was a, he was a very solid part of that 
Husker defense and kept the blockers off everybody else. And that's really just a tough thing to quantify what a guy is able to do for you in that respect. Right. Who else are we missing? I'm glad I'm glad you mentioned Tim Vincent Valentine's. He mm. certainly deserves some. Who else are we missing along the front line that was pretty good? I don't know. I I think it's pretty close. I mean, especially for anybody that did anything for more than one year. I, yeah. You know, Ben Stilley might play he's, his I, you know way what? to that level. He's got double-digit sacks in his career with a year to go. Right. Uh, he'll he'll suffer from just where the decade breaks. Yeah. Especially because he, I think he could have a pretty good year next year. But I don't know that we missed anybody okay. entirely that we shouldn't. Have. All right. Very good. All right. Tim, lead us off of the linebackers. Yeah. So the, the linebackers for me was was pretty easy for the first two. But then for my third, it took me a little bit. So what I ultimately cited on was Levante David, obviously, yeah. uh, Will Compton, and I also had uh, Zaire Anderson uh, on there because a really strong 2014 uh, campaign. But that was easily the hardest one uh, to pick. But for Levante David, I mean, what, what else can you say that hasn't already been said? An absolute stud. Probably one of the best athletes I've ever seen play in person. I mean, the guy, he filled that void, even though that was a different position. He filled that void that Seward left. You, I didn't think you'd, you'd see another dominant athlete like that walk in. And, of course, you look at what he's the, – the career he's enjoying in the NFL, it's pretty obvious he's a fantastic player, just sideline to sideline, amazing. Uh, Will Compton – Again, he was an excellent, an excellent player at Nebraska. Very consistent. Uh, he led NU in tackles as a senior. I think he had 110. Uh, pretty all around solid career. I believe he was a captain as well. And then Zaire Anderson. Um, I don't know. Maybe that, that might be defer from from some of you guys, but um, he was pretty consistent. I think he averaged about 10 tackles per game uh, in his senior year. And again, that's I think to me. Um, he was always around the ball. I mean, he caused a lot of fumbles. He had some fumble recoveries, some tackles for loss. And so, uh, and he also had a lot of tackles right here. Look, like I said, the senior season had 103 total tackles, which is not bad at all. So uh, the, the two, though, Will and, and Levante were, were pretty obvious for me. But but Zaire Anderson, I think, is also solid as well. Yeah, uh, Zaire played the better part of a season with a torn ACL. Mm-hmm. I mean, that's how tough that guy was. I uh, even spent some time with the Denver Broncos, the National Football League. And I'm with you, Tim. I have, I have the same three guys. I just think Zaire's athletic ability and upside was so impressive. But uh, what do you have? Okay, so Levante David, as you all have. Will Compton, as you both had. My third, apologies to Mr. Anderson, uh, Josh Banderas, sure. our, our mm-hmm. colleague sure. here on the network over 200 tackles was in the middle of a pretty good Husker defense Uh, Mike Riley's second year here in 2016 uh, 93 tackles in that senior year and and just you know one of those leaders on the defensive side of the ball so uh, Zaire's a pretty good pick but I'm going to go Bando. Okay. I, I had a list of guys that I also consider Bando was certainly on my list, along with Trevor Roach. Mohamed mm-hmm. Berry, who certainly was right up there in the tackle charge for Nebraska the last couple of years. And Diedrich Young, who played four years in, in inside backer for Nebraska under a couple of different defensive coordinators. But his numbers were pretty good after his four-year career. How about Chris Weber? That's, a, Chris Weber. that's another guy that can factor in, especially later on in his career. He, he was pretty active. Mo was my, my fourth linebacker that I I cut. Just barely missed. Exactly. Yeah. All right. The Sports Nightly Top 10 Moments of the Year. Left side for the match. Matty Kubik. She got him! They did it! Nebraska beats Penn State. going back. He's there. He's got it. And the Huskers have won this series in Waco. Nine, eight. Sam Hybe goes. The layup. Good! 
Sam Hybe gives Nebraska a four-point Nebraska has become the fifth program in the history of college football to win 900 all-time Holy games. Holy cow, the magnificent seven comes through in Chicago. Number four. Gomez comes set, looks back at second. Here's the pitch, fastball lifted in the air to center. Joe Acker measuring it, waiting for it. He gloves it, and the Huskers have beaten number three, Texas Tech, here in Frisco, Texas tonight. And the freshman from Millard West, Kobe Gomez, gets the first save of the year for the Big Red. They clip Tech tonight, a final of two to one. Moment number four, Husker baseball victory back on March the 2nd against number three, Texas Tech. Ben McLaughlin joined me on the call for that game. And kind of want to go back to the mindset going into that weekend, Ben. We were just coming off getting swept by Oregon State. And I don't know that we thought the Huskers were very good at that point in time. Yeah, and if, if memory serves, Sam Houston State was coming off a, a really good season, so you knew that was going to be tough. Uh, but you felt like that was the one game Nebraska really had a good chance at because, uh, again, if, if if I'm remembering correctly, Mississippi State was still undefeated at yeah. the time. I don't think they had been beaten. And Texas Tech was the preseason Big 12 champion. They had uh, the Big 12 Player of the Year and Josh Young on the team. And uh, I think they were ranked as high as third in the polls when we went down there. So, yeah, I think uh, the optimism level wasn't overly high, and, and the main reason was because Nebraska's rotation was such a mess at that point. You weren't sure uh, who the Huskers were going to roll out there against that really good competition. So, yeah, I think you know we, we went down there with the mindset of thinking we'll, we'll, we'll go one and two, and we'd be okay with that. Well, it, you talk about the rotation. It was Matt Waldron's first start of the year. The Huskers had used him out of the bullpen the first two weekends at Riverside, and against Oregon State, I think maybe maybe saving some bullets for later in the year, knowing that it's a long season and that probably they knew what they had in Matt and they could go to Matt at any point in time. And he gave him a, a really solid start, five innings. I remember that it was kind of dreary that night. It was kind of a heavy air. wasn't really rainy, but almost kind of a mist in the air for the game. Is that what you recall? Yeah, and I'm even going to back up. I almost didn't make it there. That's uh, right. To the game. I was in, in Ann Arbor the night before. That was that stretch of two weeks where I went from State College to Riverside, California, to Michigan, to Frisco, in a span of like 12 days. <laughs> and uh, and I remember almost not making it there because my flight from Detroit uh, had gotten canceled. And I just happened to stumble on another flight going from Detroit to Dallas, like a 30 minute, 30 minutes after mine got delayed. And, and I was the last seat on the plane. Otherwise I wouldn't have made it there. I would have missed moment number four. Um, but then I remember Greg, we sat there and watched Mississippi state, Sam Houston state and Sam Houston state had the lead in like the eighth inning. And then Mississippi state came back and won. Uh, and, and so we sat there and watched that. And I remember, sitting up by the batting cages with the team and Josh Young walked by and I, I can't remember who it was. It might've been uh, Micah Dante looked at me and goes, Oh boy. <laughs> like, <laughs> like that dude was a monster. And, uh, and Texas tech certainly was a get off the bus type team, but yes, it was a very uh, rainy day in Frisco, windy, uh, just not a very pleasant night at all for baseball. But when you're playing a team that like Texas tech, that bashes it all around the ballpark, we were happy with that. I think uh, I think Nebraska was significantly more comfortable playing in that than the Red Raiders were that night. Well, Waldron starts, goes five, and then Chad Lindsman throws three scoreless innings, hitless innings. He walked a couple of guys. 
and then Kobe Gomez came in and, and got the save. Nebraska, Ben, didn't score until the seventh. It was a one nothing game. The Huskers then played two runs in the seventh uh, as – the just they couldn't do, do much. Roscom got a double. Joe Acker gets a walk. Mojo Haggy uh, got an RBI hit, and then Colby Gomez, who came back later than the pitch, got an RBI single to give Nebraska the two-one lead. And I, I don't know about you, but I kept feeling like, all right, we got the lead. We got six outs to go. Can we do this? And, and in the back of my mind, I'm thinking about how big this would be for the resume and a possible NCAA bid in two and a half months. But you knew you had a chance to steal one. There's no question about it. Anytime you get the opportunity to knock off a top five team who's going to be an RPI beast at the end of the year, which playing in the Big 12, you knew Texas Tech was going to be, it's huge. And and, and I, I remember that was the best Chad Linsman we saw all year last year was yeah. in that game in particular. He was nasty. He was fired up. He was emotional. Uh, his fastball was up into the mid-90s. But the pitch count was a huge issue. And we're thinking, oh, crap, who do we have on this team that's going to get three more outs against these guys and Darren Erstad rolls the freshman out there and of course this is coming off the heels you mentioned getting swept against Oregon State where he got rocked by the Beavers and you're thinking how is this kid going to respond against a top five team in a safe situation and we found that answer out in the first batter because he got a kid down 0-2 he blew two fastballs up by him the second one he fouled back to the screen and I look at you and goes he's he smiling at the batter <laughs> he he was smiling at at the batter. I go, okay. I think I think the moment's not too big for him. He ends up closing the door, and uh, and I remember walking off the field with those two guys, Lindsman and uh, and Colby, after the game, and and it was like they just knew they were so confident. And and I, I don't know about you, but I got in the car that night, going, man, our bullpen, the back end of our bullpen is going to be pretty nasty with Lindsman and with Gomez. Well, half of those guys panned out that year, and the other half didn't so much, but. Um, <laughs> I remember we took a moment getting in that car. I think we went and celebrated with some tacos that night, just thinking, holy crap. We did not expect to see this after the series we just had with Oregon State, but there's no doubt Nebraska stole one that night with Texas Tech. Huge win. Um, Gomez does get the save. Nebraska's first victory over a top-five team since they beat Oregon State when they were number one in 2014, so it had been five years since Nebraska had beaten the top five team and a sweet win now the weekend uh, didn't even get to play Sunday against Mississippi State because the weather just turned awful and the weekend for me soured a little bit because Nebraska blew a, a big lead against Sam Houston State the next day or that could have been an unbelievable trip down to Frisco yeah it soured it huge and, and and you felt almost a little guilty being that ticked off leaving because of what had happened the night before but you score eight runs in an inning I don't care who you playing it should be ball game right and, and then I think there was an inning or two after Nebraska had scored eight, and Sam Houston State came back and scored like seven, and we had a game again, and, I th- and they, they got us in the 10th. I believe it was in extras. I think it was 11 to 10, the final maybe. And, and you just felt so sick because that was going to be another good RPI team. It's not a team that you, that you put on front of your resume and bold and italicize that you beat, but it's one of those sneaky teams that, uh, that the math is going to help you at the end of the year because their RPI is so good. And, and so you felt great about the win with Texas tech and it was hard to feel too bad because you had beaten them. But as we said, we came into the weekend thinking Sam Houston state was the team you had the best chance to beat. And unfortunately you didn't. And then our game with Mississippi state was washed out the next day. So yeah, it was weird getting on the plane because we weren't sure how to feel. Right. 
Well, it was certainly a special moment. Anytime you beat somebody ranked in the top five in any sport, it's a memorable moment. And for us, it certainly was. And it earns our number four spot. So everybody at home is going, wow, what's one, two, and three? Well, we'll get to those. But uh, that was a special moment, albeit early this season, but still a huge win. And probably another big reason with the Bader game that we talked about earlier in our top ten games, uh, big reasons why Nebraska made a regional again last year. All right, uh, did you survive Christmas? How did everything go? Everything okay? Christmas was great. Um, yeah, everybody made it out healthy. Uh, nobody got sick, which it sounds like is a is an upset based on a lot of the people that I've talked to. There's a lot of sickness going around. But, yeah, nobody cut a finger off carving the turkey or anything like that. So, yeah, everybody made it out. I think everybody, for the most part, the kids were happy with their gifts. And, uh, yeah, I don't think there's too many complaints on our end. It was a, it was a pretty solid day. Who won the uh, gingerbread house contest? So the gingerbread house contest uh, it was a proud moment for uh, for my McLaughlin house. My wife was uh, the, the the unanimous champ last year, and and it came down to Twitter this year because I felt I got jobbed and there was uh, there was some politicking going on against me. So we took it to Twitter, where there could be no uh, no arguments, and my wife won by one vote, fifty four vo- votes to fifty three votes. Um, in the end, I'm disappointed with second place, but I'm proud of my finish, proud of my effort. Felt like uh, the plan was executed at a, at a B-plus level, and that's about as good as I can do. If you, were, if you were to look at my wife's house compared to my house, at, at certain points in the competition, you're going, there's no way you're even in this. But we rallied, we put something strong together, and finished in second place uh, by one vote. So I'm pleased with it. What's that, Tim? Oh, just like buy sell, Tim says. Yeah, okay. <laughs> yeah, except this time there's six competitors and not just two. <laughs> oh, very good. Did you watch some NBA yesterday? Did you have any of that on in the background? I did. Uh, between Christmas vacation and Elf, I was able to watch a little uh, <laughs> a little NBA. But, yeah, I, man, the Rockets losing to the Warriors was, was surprising. What a game between the L.A.s last night, too. So, uh, yeah, there was, there was some good hoops on yesterday, but – um, watching cousin Eddie empty the empty <laughs> never gets the, old. The John it? into the sewer, sewer automatically takes priority on that particular day. <laughs> it never gets old. Oh, it's <laughs> crazy. All right, I don't know if you saw my uh, tweet earlier today. It's uh, we're fifty days out from the start of the baseball season. I'm ready. Uh, my wife and I are trying to plan some type of trip before the season to get somewhere warm, um, and you know, just kind of enjoy a little weather because it's going to hit here before we know it. 50 days away from Will Bolt era's getting started. I can't wait. going to be fun. All right, when, when are you back in here? Uh, the rumor has it I'll be in on Monday, but okay. we'll, see how I'm, we'll see how I'm feeling at the end of the night on Sunday. All right, well, Nate's ready to, to, to pounce if you, <laughs> if you need any more help. Very good. Well, we're delighted to welcome on board the program now, Dirk Chatwin of the Omaha World Herald. Uh, you can also read Dirk online at omaha.com. Uh, Dirk, Merry Christmas. Hope you had a chance to spend some time with your family. We did well, Greg. Thanks for uh, thanks for saying so. We had a good time. Good. Did you did you soak up some of the the NBA quadruple uh, quadruple header yesterday? Yeah, it might have been more than quadruple. Uh, it's, it's, it seemed like it was uh, more than that. Maybe five or six, seven. <laughs> but uh, we, we watched uh, we watched that Clippers Lakers game, and that that thing has got uh, all the components of 
of a great playoff series for sure. Uh, I tend to think that the Clippers are a little bit stronger, a little bit deeper, and uh, they obviously got the best of them yesterday. I know the Warriors won yesterday, but isn't it hard to watch them right now? I mean, none. I mean, I know Draymond Green is back, but pretty much everybody else, the, the whole cast of characters that have dominated that league for almost a half a decade, those guys aren't even there right now. It's weird. It is very strange, and uh, you know, imagine being a a season ticket holder who's who's probably dropping a couple thousand dollars a game to get a get a seat in that new arena, thinking you're going to see the NBA's great dynasty, and and here you see a team that's probably going to win 15 games all season. So it's it's been very strange, and I think they're they're hoping that uh, they're full strength next season, and and maybe even add a young lottery piece or something like that, where they can jump right back into the mix. Yeah, you watch. So the the ping pong balls might spring them and give them the number one pick. It's that those kind of things happen to those good franchises. Well, the holidays are, are certainly here, and uh, you know we wish and everybody that's listening tonight. I hope they had a great Merry Christmas. But they also can be kind of some lonely times for people. And you had a piece a couple of days ago that was a really good read about Niles Paul, who retired a year ago from the National Football League, grew up in Omaha, played for the Huskers. Take me through that. Take me through how you kind of stumbled on that with Niles. Well, Niles and I go back a long ways. Uh, I first heard about him uh, just before signing day 2007 when he was uh, an All-American high school wide receiver. You know, people knew that he was he was uh, sort of, a, at that point, a pretty rare uh, wide receiver prospect in state. You know, Nebraska didn't produce a lot of guys like that. 10, 15 years ago. Uh, and Niles had connections to Amon Green. And, uh, so there was a lot of, a lot of hype about him, and I wrote about him back then. And, and obviously he came down to Lincoln and had a good career at Nebraska, uh, went to the NFL and played eight years. And uh, I think people had general good feelings about him the whole time. You know, big personality, uh, just the, just really – high character uh everybody liked niles and and of course i did too and i've written about him you know in the nfl a couple times but but about three weeks ago four weeks ago uh i reached out to him and among many guys from the 2009 big 12 championship team uh the team that lost to texas and i was doing a story about that game and niles was one of the guys that i talked to or reached out to and we were just kind of chatting like you and i are right now uh, just a little small talk here and there. And I knew that the first season away from football, you know, could be really hard on guys uh, who just retired. And so I was, I was asking him how he was doing and stuff like that. And, and he mentioned, you know, he mentioned therapy, uh, you know, going to a therapy session or something like that. And I, it just sort of piqued my interest. And we, we started talking and the longer we talked, the more he, he kind of opened up and we spent more than an hour on the phone together. And he, uh, he just kind of, he just kind of pulled back everything that he'd been hiding to people for three or four months now. And by the end of the conversation, he was, first of all, he was kind of shocked at what he'd said to a relative stranger and and secondly, I think he he felt better about it, and he, um, you know, thought that that getting that message out might be able to help some people, and it it prompted him uh, to actually go out and seek some help himself. You know, he he uh, a couple of days later he went down into a rehab facility in, in South Florida and 
did some did some brain scans where a neurologist told him, you know, that first of all that you've probably suffered some pretty significant head trauma and secondly, you know, there's there's some things that we can do about it to help you. So Miles has had a very difficult fall. Uh, he's, he's, you know, endured a lot of pretty heavy depression. Um, and that was the gist of the piece. But but I, I hope people also take sort of the positive from it in that, you know, there's, there's, uh, there's a benefit to sharing this stuff publicly. And I think he really helped people who read it. I heard from a lot of people who who had read the story and, and sort of took some strength from it. And also a lot of people who, who really admired Niles Paul for, for being so honest with his struggles. You know, you, you wrote in the piece that he was supposed to come home for Thanksgiving, but had trouble transporting some pets. So that he did not do that. Did he get to see some family? Do you know over the Christmas holidays? Well, he's got family kind of in and out. He's got some brothers that are, that are in and out of his house down in Florida uh, on a fairly regular basis. But his uh, his plan was not to come back to Omaha. And, and as I detailed uh, in the story, you know, he just – he's he's dealing with uh, some things that I think a lot of athletes are dealing with when they retire, which is uh, a little bit of, you know, lack of identity, lack of vision, and shame uh, that they've – that they're not – accomplishing what they wanted to accomplish and a big reason well the the sole reason in fact that he didn't come back for thanksgiving was was that he uh was he just didn't feel very good about himself and he you know i think he didn't want to answer that question what are you doing now niles how you know what are you up to uh because he like a lot of athletes um who who get out of the sport that they do for so long He's kind of looking for what's next. So that was sort of the the most poignant part of the whole story to me, and it's why I led the story with with that with that scene was was Niles basically uh, you know canceling his plane ticket home for Thanksgiving. He just didn't feel good enough about himself to come home. He's a remarkable story in the within the NFL because th- this is a guy that bulked himself up and turned himself into a tight end, and I never would have thought of that. Maybe you did when you watched him play in high school or at Nebraska. I never saw him as a tight end, but he, he found a way to survive in the in a tough, tough league. Did you envision that he could ever make his body look like that? No, I did not. I mean, it was a surprise. I probably followed him a little bit closer than most. I, you know, I've been a Redskins fan for 30 years. Um, so, you know, I, I, it's, it's been a rough, it's been a rough, (laughs) a rough generation, but he, um, he turned himself into a tight end at Mike Shanahan's request. And then a couple years later, he turned himself into a fullback to stay in the league. So you got this guy who's drafted as a wide receiver who becomes a fullback. I mean, I got to think that, you know, in a league where almost everything has happened over the course of 50 to 70 years, I would imagine that that is, you know, you could probably count the guys on one hand who have done that in the course of NFL history. And he just, he was very, very admired for, you know, among coaches and teammates. I mean, they made him a a special teams captain. Uh, He just, he just really had a sense of pride in doing whatever was necessary to to not only uh you know stay on the roster but also help the team and like i said i mean as you remember i mean he had a he really had a big personality i mean really likable uh good looking guy i mean just sort of charismatic and i i think that's one of the hard part hard things for people who read the story locally here in the last four days was just you know man you you understand that this is going to happen to some guys but but 
nobody anticipates that happening to Niles to a guy like Niles Paul. And that's been the hard part, you know, even for, for me as I go through it. Um, and I've listened to our conversation several times after, you know, recording it three or four weeks ago. But uh, you just remember this guy who was so, you know, who seemed so, so sort of joyful and uh, youthful, uh, who's really going something, going through something serious right now. And, and the hope is that, that all the support that he's received the last three or four days, you know, will give him a boost and motivation to, you know, to get through this. And again, it's, it's been, it's been really interesting how many people I've heard from, um, not just people who've reached out to me, but also just conversations that I've been, you know, listening to on the radio or podcasts or, you know, Fred Smoot, former Washington Redskin NFL player who's, you know, was talking about it the other day. I mean, it's just, they all say the same thing, which is just that, you know, when, when you're a professional athlete and you lose that sense of, of camaraderie and lose that identity, it's very, very difficult uh, to, to sort of find your way out of it. And you go into some, some dark places as Niles Paul calls it, when you don't have that sense of daily purpose in your life. And, and honestly, I mean, I, I relate to some of that. I mean, I think a lot of our, your listeners probably do too. It's just, um, you know, it's not, it's not, uh, exclusive to football players, but it's, I think it's, maybe a little bit more exacerbated by, by football and the kind of the rush and the adrenaline rush and the camaraderie of playing that sport. And then when it's taken away from you, you know, you really, uh, you really have to find a new identity in life. Your story, your timing of your story was, was perfect because again, this is a time of year where a lot of people are lonely and going through that type of thing. And, and we certainly uh, hope Niles can, can, find some light in his life, and a lot of people back here certainly pulling for him. We're visiting with Dirk Chatlin, the Omaha World Herald. You can read his work at Omaha.com. Well, we're about ready to jump back into the college basketball season. What's your early take on, on Fred Hoiberg's first season here at Nebraska? Well, honestly, it's, it's pretty consistent with what I expected. I mean, they, the, the low moments have been lower than I thought they were going to be. Uh, you know, you don't expect quite as many quote-unquote bad losses as Nebraska's had. Uh, but but I knew this was going to be sort of a topsy-turvy road because of the roster reconstruction and all the sort of the misfit parts, uh, mercenaries trying to play together for the first time. I think the, uh, you know, that 48-hour period they had against Indiana and Purdue really gave people uh, a sense of hope for what this thing might look like two months down the road or even 10 months down the road. Uh, but on the other hand, you know, there's just going to be a consistency that, that is hard for them to attain in the first season. And I think, uh, you know, you, you probably have to prepare for that the rest of the way. It's just they're small and they, they go through shooting slumps and defensively they kind of they kind of lose their concentration sometimes and you put all that stuff together and it's going to be a rough Big Ten season. But but I think Husker Hoop fans have, you know, pretty reasonable expectations for this thing. And if if they can make some strides, uh, even get a couple big wins here at home, I would imagine that will help people get through the winter. Very good. Well, Dirk, again, Merry Christmas. Happy New Year to you and your family. We appreciate you coming on and sharing your, your work with the Niles Paul story. It was pretty gripping, and I'd rec- recommend everybody go out and try to find that and go read it, uh, either their printed edition or go online as well. Thank you, Dirk. Thank you very much, Greg. Merry Christmas. 
He's originally from New York, but now calls the second city his home. He prefers seeing a yellow card over an icing call. His choice in pizza is still up for debate, but his knowledge of sports spans from boxing to yachting. Here's the worldly Teddy Greenstein of the Chicago Tribune. Well, coming to us tonight from uh, Phoenix, Arizona, which is the site of the Fiesta Bowl, the PlayStation Fiesta Bowl on Saturday night, one of the semifinal <laughs> games. So you go out to the desert, and it's warmer in Chicago. Is that what I'm hearing? It, it, it really is. I think it was 63 in Chicago today. I kind of don't want to look, Greg, because it's just <laughs> so painful. I guess this is payback because last year when we had the polar vortex, I was uh, in spring training, so my wife and kids. <laughs> suffering so i think this is uh, a def- definitely karma now that uh you know i think today the high and uh in scottsdale was about 52 or something like that so you know i'm sure you're, i'm sure your listeners don't really care about our problems today was honestly a day where the weather didn't matter anyway ohio state had uh its media day clemson had its media day so today's a day to you know interview a zillion people, transcribe a lot of tape, and uh, you know knock out a bunch of scores. Did you did you even take your sticks? Definitely not, but I did bring my shoes and a glove. Okay. So uh, I am hoping to sneak out maybe for nine tomorrow if uh, if it gets higher than forty nine degrees. Seriously, it might not get higher than forty nine <laughs> degrees tomorrow. Ridiculous. That's unbelievable. Oh gosh. All right, so media day today. What was what was there a buzz? What was kind of the theme you were picking up on? You know, there was definitely no real news element. Uh, I was thinking about that. Like in previous years, maybe there's been like I don't know, a little bit of controversy or this and that. There was none of that. I mean, some of the interesting themes are, you know, the two quarterbacks, Trevor Lawrence uh, and Justin Fields. Uh, they're both dudes from Georgia. Uh, they actually have the same like off-season quarterbacks coach who they work with, uh, but they've never played each other in a game. They grew up at 30 minutes apart and were the same class, but uh, the teams never actually played each other. Um, so it's kind of interesting now that, you know, they're finally going to go head-to-head, one versus two uh, on the recruiting list. And so, yeah, and when you think about Justin Fields, you've got this ridiculous touchdown-to-interception ratio, 40-1. to one. I don't know if that's been done before in college football. Uh, the flip side of that is he takes a lot of sacks because he doesn't want to take chances and throw into coverage so that Ohio State's been sacked over 30 times this year. Trevor Lawrence on the other side, you've got a, a right arm that they say is, is a gift from the gods um, that he just is you know, the most accurate passer, long, short, everything. And, and he's gotten better about moving in the pocket, extending plays. So the quarterback play is going to be unbelievable. Um, these are the top two defenses in college football. So it really is, you know, a match that has been sent from the college football gods, and hopefully it uh, it lives up to the hype. Okay, the Tigers are favored. How are you picking this thing? So it's just so ridiculous. People are going to roll their eyes. I'm picking Ohio State, and yet if you told me, you know, my last $100 would I not, I would take Clemson. So it's kind of like one of those things. My heart is in Ohio State. I've seen has play a bunch of times this year. The talent is absolutely blinding. But, uh, Greg, you know this. I mean, the Big Ten hasn't scored a point in the playoffs for the last four times. Yeah. So obviously, two they weren't in. But Michigan State got shut out. Ohio State got shut out by Clemson. So Ohio State has not scored a point since winning the first playoff 
after the 2014 season, you know, by crushing Oregon. I think it was 42 to 14 or 42 to 20. So I'm just still kind of scarred by all this. Like last year, I was buying this in Notre Dame, at least going to keep it close, you know, against Clemson. And it turns out they didn't. The first quarter was good, then it got away from them the second quarter, and it ended up being a blowout 30 to 3. So I really want to think Ohio State. <laughs> Taking Ohio State, and yet I don't believe it. Um, and that's how a lot of these bowls have been. I mean, these early bowl games, man, this has to have been the most unpredictable set of results I've seen. Everybody thought like Boise was going to be Washington. That was every single person looked at the history and said Boise's going to take out Washington, and of course it was the exact opposite. So I did these, you know, Big Ten bowl picks this uh, just published today, and I can't say that I feel great about any of them. Nine of them to pick from for Big Ten teams. How do you see the league doing in the next seven days? You know, I, I guess I just go through one by one. And, and I'm really more of, you know, picking with points, you know, picking against the spread than in other ones. Uh, you know, Michigan State, I don't have any faith in, so I said Wake Forest plus three and a half. USC, Iowa could certainly go either way. I ended up picking Iowa, you know, certainly a more consistent team, but my God, USC has gotten some incredible quarterback play. Uh, Memphis, Penn State, you know, Memphis is a mystery. Mike Norvell has, has left for Florida State, so they promoted their offensive line coach, Ryan Silverfield, which is intriguing because O-line coaches usually don't get promoted, and they seem to absolutely love him. So I ended up taking uh, Memphis plus seven. Obviously, you always wonder about motivation when a team from the Big Ten is playing a group of five. Uh, and then I, 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 in Oklahoma, plus 14 against LSU, I think LSU is, is certainly the way superior team there. So I'm riding the tires of that one. So Ohio State plus two, reluctantly. Now, Illinois getting six and a half against Cal. Basically a road game for the Illini. Illinois is a tough team to figure out. Obviously, had a very good season. Stunned Wisconsin, rallied against Michigan State, did not show up at all against Northwestern. The issue with Illinois is will Brandon Peters play, the quarterback who was concussed uh, a few weeks ago. It seems like if he plays, everything sort of falls in line with that team, and they're solid. He didn't play in that game uh, against Northwestern, and they got thumped. You got Minnesota plus 7.5 against Auburn, another tough one. I mean, I remember last year, a lot of us thought that Purdue was going to beat Auburn, and that was a complete beatdown, 63-14. to 14. So this might just be a case where, you know, it's just SEC skill is going to be dominant. But, you know, if it's 6.5, you say absolutely take Auburn. But when it's 7.5, it's tough in a theoretical low-scoring game. Another intriguing one is Michigan against Alabama, and it's hard to pick because we don't know exactly who's going to play. You know, Michigan – gives out no information. They don't even give you a depth chart on the day of the game. So we don't know who's going to bail and who's going to show up. So I ended up taking Michigan plus a seven and a half somewhat reluctantly. Oregon, Wisconsin, and the Rose Bowl. Very interesting matchup. I don't know if you got to see the Pac-12 championship game, but Oregon looked great against a Utah team that I have a ton of respect for. So I think it's going to be a field goal game. Take Oregon plus three. So you got a little cushion. And then the last one, Indiana plus two against Tennessee. That's a tricky one as well because Tennessee has been, you know, one of the better teams in the second half of the season. Uh, Indiana has two great quarterbacks, just lost its offensive coordinator to Fresno. I ended up taking the Hoosiers plus the points. So no confidence in any of these picks. I've had a pretty good season. I'm nine over 500, but I would not bet a quarter on any of these games. Most most uh, the folks in Vegas say stay away from bowl games. There's just too many unknown factors about these teams and 
So be wise, gamblers out there. Just be wise. Uh, be careful the next couple of days. All right. Uh, you, you had some fun putting together a year-end column. Give me some of the highlights of that. Oh, yeah. I got to think about that one. That had um... – you know, some of the some of the best and worst of the year. I mean, some of this was um, if you're talking about the one with sort of like the highs and lows yep. of, of the sports wagering, you know, the, be- the the worst beat of the year, which was Northwestern at Stanford <laughs> because there's a strip sack on the final play. I thought the most ridiculous spread of the year, Michigan State minus 14 and a half against Arizona State. Uh, Michigan didn't even score till the fourth quarter and lost 10, seven. Uh, and I had to make fun of myself for a prediction. Cause I, I liked Maryland plus the points when they hosted Penn state and Penn state won the game 59 to nothing. So, um, definitely it is always uh, humbling to try to pick these games and, uh, you see it all over whenever you think somebody really knows what they're talking about and you're reading their column, believe me, they're guessing just like all of us. <laughs> oh, it's good. Teddy Greenside, the Chicago Tribune is with us. I know occasionally during the calendar year, you poke your nose around the Chicago White Sox. Wow. What a week they've had picking up Dallas Keuchel and Edwin and Carson and Canarcion. They may be the story in Chicago this summer, maybe more so than the Cubs. It really is amazing. I mean, White Sox fans have to be actually tossing out their chest right now. It's been forever since they made the playoffs, let alone, you know, finished 500. And there's just been this rebuild that's been going on and on and on. And a couple years ago, I think they won 62 games. And then last year, I think it was 73. So they're just inching up. So it's a combination now that they're actually spending money. They also got to get money. Grandal, we have the catcher uh, from the Brewers. They sell it to him. And they've got these the pitchers coming. This guy, Michael Kopak, who you know had Tommy John surgery. He throws over a hundred, so they are absolutely taking acclaim. So the storyline has been, you know, White Sox adding players and the Cubs expected to, you know, get rid of prominent guys like Chris Bryant because they can't pay everybody. So we got some uh, serious flipping going on with the north side and the south side. Oh, it's going to be fun. It'll be here. That that warms people up. This or even in the desert where all those spring training sites are. Hope you get some golf in. Enjoy the game and uh, happy new year. Greg, happy new year to you and everybody listening. Thank you very much. Halftime of the Quick Lanes Bowl 2017 Eastern Michigan with the lead. The Big Ten gets into the fray tomorrow. You'll have in the middle of the afternoon the Pinstripe Bowl, Michigan State. And Wake Forest. I cho- I picked Wake Forest in our picks last week for that game. I took the Demon Deacons as well. I you have did. no faith, no excitement, no belief right now about Michigan State football. That program looks as lifeless as I was at about 4 o'clock after eating at my parents and I sitting in their warm basement. That was the only game we had to pick last week. Tomorrow night we'll pick the rest of them in our Big Ten picks. for. So we'll have the other eight Big Ten teams. We'll pick those games next week or okay. tomorrow night. I'm excited to do it. I can't imagine I'll get many of them right, but we'll see. <laughs> Iowa plays tomorrow night against USC. Go then Trojans. You, then you have a couple of games involving Big Ten teams on Saturday. I know the Cotton Bowl is Saturday with Penn State and Memphis. You've got, obviously, Ohio State in action Saturday night against Clemson. And then a slew of them next week. Sure, including that Rose Bowl. Of course, the news coming out that Penn State is hiring Minnesota's about offensive that? coordinator. He did a good job. Did a great job. Um, so the Gophers will not have him for their bowl game next New Year's Day when they're down in Tampa as they are set to face the Auburn Tigers. Got a lean on that game yet? Um, I, I would lean Auburn. I would lean Auburn as well. I Minnesota's kind of in a weird place right now. I mean, they have the good year, but 
you know, lose to Wisconsin in the final. And I, I, I think it, it's kind of a similar trajectory, though not as dramatic as the year before with Purdue, where yeah. you have the big watershed win and you come back to earth and now you're kind of stumbling at the end. And now you got to try to find a way to fire it back up. I don't think they do it. I th- they they were nine and zero at one point. Yeah. If they don't win the bowl game, they're going to end up being ten and three. So that means losing three of the last four. Right now they were to good teams. Iowa beat them, mm-hmm. then Wisconsin beat them, and then they lose to Auburn. But still, you, you kind of your momentum gets really halted. Sure, if you lose three of your last four, and especially losing your offensive coordinator. You know, you feel like you give some ground back that you were able to gain during the 9-0 start, which uh, is good news because Minnesota, at least at the point of the 9-0 start, looked like they were a program that had figured it out and was going to be a thorn in the side in the Big Ten West. Reminds me a little bit of Nebraska's 2016 season when Nebraska was 7-0 and and ended up losing like four of their last six that season. And some of them weren't pretty. No. And and it, sometimes you get that schedule that's really easy at the front yep. and, and maybe puffs you up a little more than you should and you kind of pay the bill for it on the back end. No doubt. Callers and guests into our show. Dot us up on our Sports Nightly Hotline brought to you by the Woodhouse Auto Family. Bringing you more choices in brands, locations, and service. Experience the difference. Purchase with confidence. This is Woodhouse. Thanks to Nate, to Brett, to Tim, and to all of you. Back with another show tomorrow night. Looking forward to it. Enjoy the rest of your night. This is the Husker Sports Network from Learfield IMG College. You're listening to Sports Nightly.